Coming up on What Women Want to Know. Periods are not disgusting. They're natural. We need to learn how our bodies function. I think it's really important for us to understand as women. And we can only do that if we can talk about periods without feeling shame or embarrassment. We need to get rid of that taboo. I'm your host, Dr. Adana, and this is What Women Want to Know. The show where we navigate the complex, fascinating, and sometimes intimidating world of women's health and well-being. Here, we create a safe, judgment-free space where no topics are off-limits. We confront our fears, we embrace our vulnerabilities, and we find humour in the unexpected. Welcome to What Women Want to Know. Before we get into the conversation today, I want to invite you personally to join our growing community. Shout out to all of you who have been here since episode one. I appreciate the support. If you've just stumbled across the show, please don't forget to hit that subscribe button so that you'll be the first to know when a new episode is live, which is every Sunday at 6 p.m. GMT. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, don't forget to leave a review and give us a follow. On the show today, we're taking a deep dive into a fundamental aspect of women's health that is often stigmatized and considered shameful to discuss openly menstrual health we're talking about periods baby our goal is to shed light on the intricacies of menstrual cycles addressing everything from period pain to the variations in flow and color this discussion is crucial in dispelling myths and providing accurate information about menstrual well-being by openly exploring topics like painful periods heavy flows and conditions like endometriosis and adenomyosis we aim to empower women with the knowledge they need to understand and manage their menstrual health effectively this episode is a step towards breaking the silence and stigma surrounding periods fostering a more informed and supportive conversation about this natural and significant aspect of women's health. Our special guest today is Dr. Simi Adedeji, an acclaimed family medicine doctor with vast expertise in surgery, aesthetics medicine, and general practice. Dr. Simi stands out as a clinician creator, dedicating her online platforms to educating and empowering women about crucial health issues. Her insightful and engaging content has garnered a remarkable social media following of nearly 3 million people, highlighting her influence and reach in the digital health space. Dr. Simi's extensive medical training and her deep commitment to advancing women's health make her an invaluable voice in our conversation today. Please join me in warmly welcoming Dr. Simi as we dive into this discussion about periods and menstrual health. What women want to know. Lovely to have you on the show today, Dr. Simi. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. We are going to dive right into the conversation. Let's start from the basics, the basics of menstruation, because believe it or not, there's so many women who really have not yet understood the basics of menstruation. So what is considered medically normal menstrual cycle and what are the variations that kind of make it abnormal? 
So when you're, we're talking about medically normal menstrual cycle, we're talking about a cycle that is on average between sort of 21 days to 35 days, right? Sometimes when I say to women, what's the length of your menstrual cycle? There's a little bit of confusion because it's like, where are we starting from? So where we're starting from is day one is the first day of your period. So your menstrual cycle length is that the number of days in between day one of your first period and then day one of the next period. So that's lasting about 21 days to 35 days. The other thing I wanted to mention is, is the length of time that you're bleeding for so on average women will bleed for about five to seven days but there are some women who have a sh quite a shorter bleed so three days and even that would still be considered as normal i have actually gone through the variation so i used to have a five-day period and then it went to a three-day period but we can explore that later so let's talk about the menstrual cycle phases right can you explain the different phases of the menstrual cycle and the significance especially when it comes to those mood swings where you want everybody to just leave you the hell alone i know the phase you're talking about i know it well so the menstrual cycle is actually quite complicated because you've got different cycles that are happening at the same time. You've got the cycle that's happening in the uterus, you have the cycle that's happening with the ovaries, and they're kind of coming together. But then you've also got like the cycle of your hormones. So what's going on in your brain, the hormones that are being released and how they're influencing your ovaries and your uterus. But if I was to really simplify, I would say, look at it in sort of two blocks. You have your follicular phase, which is everything from day one of your bleed up until your ovulation. Yeah, so ovulation is the midpoint. And then you have everything after ovulation, which is the luteal phase. So if we go and look at that first block, the follicular phase, in a 28 day cycle, you would usually ovulate around the middle of that cycle. So that's about day 14. So in the follicular phase, you have menstruation. So this is when you are bleeding, this is your period. And the significance of that is, I guess, all of the things that can go wrong with your period. For example, you can have heavy periods, you can have clots, you can have painful periods. And then after you've had your bleeding, which is where the lining of your uterus is breaking down, that's what you're seeing as the blood, the uterus then kind of goes into the proliferative phase. So that lining starts to gradually build up again, getting ready for your next bleed. Then you come to ovulation. And ovulation is when your ovaries are releasing an egg. Okay, so this is around the time when you are most fertile. So that's important because, you know, having sex around this time is going to increase the likelihood of you getting pregnant, whether you want to be pregnant or not. And that's a different issue. And then after ovulation, you then have your luteal phase. So this is the phase where a lot of us women will experience symptoms of PMS. Okay, so, you know, that irritability, the bloating, they're just kind of not feeling yourself, the low energy. So that's coming in the luteal phase. There are the four phases of the menstrual cycle. I didn't really understand these phases before I got to med school. And I don't know if there's a lot of women listening to these podcasts who can relate. I just never really got like a really proper menstrual health education. Can you relate? I can relate. I don't even know if women would kind of describe their cycle as in phases. I don't know if there are a lot of women that are aware that there are different it's kind of like yeah my period's there and then it's not <laughs> exactly but the thing is even though you wouldn't use those terms like you wouldn't use phases if you're not a medic i think fundamentally there should be that understanding of really important phases in this cycle like when you're ovulating the higher chances of you getting pregnant when you're feeling bloated or irritable i think that's a basic understanding that women should know about their cycle there's a lot of that education missing for women so when i went to med school and you know the first time 
was learning about it is in class and then the textbook and they make it so complicated that I had to go back to do a lot more extra learning with all of my different colored pens and chatting all these things. I feel like if I had just listened to what you said, that's it done. So I hope so many people listening will be like, now I understand what happens in my cycle. I was going to say, I think it's good how you kind of phrase that question because it's maybe for people that are not medical, it's less about kind of understanding what's happening in that cycle, but what's the significance of that part of the cycle. During menstruation, well, you know, is your flow heavy? How's that affecting your menstrual product choices? Are you having problems where your periods are so heavy that you're leaking through your clothes? And are you having painful periods that you can't go to work or you can't go to college or school? Some women actually experience ovulation pain, which I believe that the proper pronunciation is mittelschmerz, but you might be able to correct me. I'm not even going to try. Yeah, so some women get ovulation pain where coming up to um, ovulation, they'll have pain kind of low down in their pelvis on one side or the other. So, you know, that can also affect their activities. And then you've got that luteal phase with the PMS that we've talked about. And obviously, if you're trying to get pregnant, you want to be having lots of sets around ovulation. Exactly. And quite the opposite as well. If you don't want to get pregnant and you don't have access to, you know, morning after pills or, you know, contraception, you should also be aware that this is the time where you should avoid having sex because there's a higher likelihood of you getting pregnant. And you can only make that decision when you fully understand the cycle and what happens. Yeah, so there's some women who do use that kind of natural family planning method. I think if you are trying to get pregnant, yes. If you're trying to avoid pregnancy, it's probably not the best method to use. What women want to know. How important is it to track one's menstrual cycle and what methods do you recommend? Okay, so I think it's so important. Your menstrual cycle is essentially a vital sign in the same way as your blood pressure, your heart rate, your oxygen saturations, except I would say that it's much more accessible to you. Patients don't always come to me saying, I've got high blood pressure because I've measured it. Yeah, sometimes they do. But they might be like, oh, um, I'm not feeling that well. You know, I've got headaches or I feel dizzy, can you check my blood pressure? Whereas with a menstrual cycle, it's there for you to see. You, If you miss your period, you'll be like, right, I need to go and speak to my doctor because first of all, you've got the initial thoughts, haven't you? You're like, okay, am I pregnant? Or is there some medication that I've started or am I stressed or something like that? So you would go and see your doctor with the outcome of this vital sign, if you like, and you'd be like, look, something's happening. I normally have regular periods and now my period is not regular anymore. And as a doctor, I'd also be looking at different questions. I'd be like, okay, what's going on here? I'd obviously ask about pregnancy. Then I'm thinking, is there a problem with other kind of systems within the body? Is there a thyroid problem? Is the prolactin high? Is menopause? Is this perimenopause? It literally is like a vital sign. So it gives you clues as to what's going on internally in the body and whether we need to be investigating and you know doing more checks. So I think it's really important to be tracking your cycle. It's so easily accessible to you to see what's happening with your period. Sometimes it's not that the period has disappeared. Maybe it's now more heavy or maybe you're having spotting. So these are all the things that you be looking out for so that's why it's so important to track your period and if you ever go to the doctors as a woman with a gynecological symptom right it's one of the first things we ask isn't it we're like okay what was your last menstrual period and that's why at the beginning of this I pointed out to say look when we say what's your last menstrual period we mean like what was the first day of your last period I had a patient that um, I was actually chatting to and I said I don't know when was your last period and she told me a date 
and we continued and she said, oh, actually, I've got it on my app. So she showed me her app and actually she was counting her last menstrual period as the end of her last period. It's important to track this so that we can investigate if there's anything going on with your periods. And I suppose these days, without even promoting one app over another, it's easily accessible. You can literally go to an app store and look for any period trackers to start with. A lot of phones already come with kind of inbuilt apps that track your periods. You can do the old-fashioned way, calendar, paper and pen. Whatever method is good for you, you know, just track your period. <laughs> as far as the common symptoms around menstrual health, which is maybe the flow being heavier than normal or pain, what would you recommend as a first line pain management for people experiencing pain during that period and when does pain become a more serious issue or a more serious concern for women to to see their gps with so as with everything i think you start simple and when if it doesn't work then you kind of step up so i would start with simple measures like a hot water bottle so sometimes women have painful periods and even something as simple as using a hot water bottle so heat for some mm. people is enough just for that comfort uh, for yeah. some women they find that lying on their stomach just that additional pressure that kind of helps oh my god man is the opposite oh really and this is why we're so complicated that's what i was saying you can't just say every woman is different <laughs> find what works for you right so positional things so lying on your side is good for some women lying on their front is good for other women and then you've also got things like exercise i said this before in one of my videos like if you've got period pain and someone says oh go and do exercise you're like what is she talking about like are you serious and i said i'm not talking about kickboxing or some high intensity you know like a hit workout or something Thing like that but some women it's just something as gentle as stretching pilates whatever it is and we know that exercise does help to release endorphins which are kind of like your natural painkillers if you like so that can help then moving on from that then you've got the medication that's available to you over the counter right so you have paracetamol you have ibuprofen and again sometimes when i suggest that to some women they're like dr simi like literally, like I'm talking about pain. What are you talking about? Paracetamol, ibuprofen. But the thing is, right, especially with ibuprofen, it's an anti-inflammatory and a painkiller, right? But it's also an anti-prostaglandin. And the significance of that is that prostaglandins, which are released from the lining of the uterus when it's shedding as your period, is actually responsible for some period pain, right? So if we can reduce the amount of prostaglandins, you can reduce the period pain. So that's why ibuprofen can be quite helpful. And some women also find that if they take an anti-inflammatory like ibuprofen, it actually slows their flow. So we do use anti-inflammatories for women that have heavy periods. So then stepping up from that, so you've tried your over-the-counter stuff, you're like, no, this is not working for me, I need something stronger. This is when you want to be seeing your GP, right? So for prescription strength medication, so we might go with prescription strength anti-inflammatories, again, for the reason that I explained about its effects on prostaglandins and period pain. And then there's some other things that you can try as well. And I think one thing I'd like to mention that is not often mentioned about managing pain is a TENS machine. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I know about using that in pregnancy, but like not come on in menstrual pain. Exactly. So women are more likely to use it in pregnancy. So for, for those who don't know, a TENS machine is just like a little machine that uses a small electrical current to help with pain. And if it's good enough for labor, right, it's probably worth trying for menstrual pain. So some women find that it's actually quite helpful and others don't. So it's about trying a range of 
options, a range of things that are available to you. And of course, seeing your doctor so that you know they can give you advice and, and make sure that the treatment you're getting is right for you. Let me just use that comparison you made as a bridge, which is, well, if a TENS machine is good for pregnancy, right? It should be good for menstrual pain. So, you know, th th there are some women who during their period would experience pain that could be likened to the pain that women experience in labor. So then when does it become very concerning? What level of pain is cause for concern? That's a subjective thing, right? It's going to vary from woman to woman. And it's really when you're looking at pain that is affecting your quality of life, okay? So you can't do your normal activities. You can't get out of bed because some women have period pains that are so painful that they literally have to stay in bed. You know, if you're calling in sick at work on a monthly basis, not even on a monthly basis, but if you're having to call in sick because your pains are so bad that you can't function, if you're missing school, missing college, anything that's impacting on how you would normally live your life, right? How, what activities you would normally do. If you can't do your sporting activities, you can't meet up with your friends. That's the level of kind of pain that you'd be like, okay, is there something else going on here? I need to see my doctor. I need to explain how this is affecting me. And then we need to find a way forward together. What women want to know. Let's dive into menstrual disorders, endometriosis, adenomyosis. Can you explain these conditions and their impact on menstrual health? Endometriosis is a condition where the lining of the uterus is kind of misbehaving, right? So rather than growing inside the uterus, it's growing outside. So it could be growing on the ovaries, it could be growing on the fallopian tubes, it could be growing on the bowel, yeah, somewhere in the abdomen. And the issue with this is even though that endometrial tissue is in the wrong place, i.e. it's not inside the uterus, yeah, it's still responding to the normal hormones of the menstrual cycle. So that means that lining is still going to build up every month and then it's still going to shed and bleed every month. So when the lining's in the vagina, the blood's going to come out of the vagina, right? When yeah. it sheds, but when that endometrial tissue is in the abdomen, there's nowhere for that blood to go. So when it mm. bleeds, it just collects in the pelvis usually, and then it causes problems with inflammation, with pain, with scarring, and that can actually also lead to problems with fertility. Mm. So that's endometriosis. Adenomyosis, it's like a sister condition. Like in adenomyosis, the endometrial lining is kind of growing within the muscle of the uterus which makes the uterus then quite big and bulky and again can cause painful periods. That's another example of me wishing that I knew you before I went to med school so that you could have just made my life easy with all your simple explanations. I love that. How common are these conditions? They're actually probably more common than we can account for or that we know. Endometriosis, for example, affects roughly about one in 10 women. So that's actually quite common and it doesn't always present with symptoms. So it's hard to be exactly sure how many women have endometriosis at any one time, but we're looking at around one in 10. What is the age that women are commonly diagnosed with the two disorders? I wouldn't say that there's an age because, because it's so hard to diagnose, it's often a delayed diagnosis. So when you talk to women that have endometriosis, they'll often be like, but I've been having these problems since I was 17, or but I've been having these problems since my 20s, and now I'm like in my 30s. Do you know what I mean? There's a point at which you get the diagnosis, but then they might have been experiencing the symptoms for eight to 10 years, is what we think is the average. 
length that it takes to diagnose endometriosis before then. What are the treatments available for managing endometriosis, for example? Um, so for endometriosis, you've kind of got, I guess, categories. So you've got your medical treatment, and then you have your surgical treatments, and then you've also got lifestyle measures. So with medical treatments, we have kind of medication, hormonal and non-hormonal that we can use. On the non-hormonal side, we've talked about already in terms of painkillers and anti-inflammatory. Then when you're looking at hormonal medication, you're looking at things like the combined pill, so combined contraceptive pill, which is commonly used to help with the symptoms. And then the surgical aspect can sometimes be used to manage endometriosis because those deposits that you get inside the abdomen can be managed surgically in terms of kind of removing them or maybe breaking down that scar tissue that might be causing problems with some women or draining cysts, for example, that have formed because of the collection of old blood in the pelvis. So you've got those options. And then when I say lifestyle measures, there are some women that are so dissatisfied with the options that we have available to manage endometriosis, right? Because it's still a work in progress, you know, we're still looking for better ways of managing it. So some women turn to dietary changes. So the evidence for diet is limited. So it means that it's not routinely recommended because the evidence is not yet as strong as the other options. But some women find that making changes to their diet also helps as well. Let's talk about breaking the taboos and education. Let's talk about both. Personally, from my experience, I didn't grow up with a solid education about my menstrual health. That's something that I learned as I grew up mostly trying to figure it out myself. I remember, I think one of the first episodes of this podcast was me sharing the story about when I found out that I was on my period and I spoke to my best friend and it turned out it was the same time that my twin sister saw her period. And all of a sudden, like, we didn't feel prepared. Who talks to us about the menstrual products to use? Should you use a pad or a tampon? But of course, culturally speaking, a pad was the best option to go because the thought of putting a tampon in your vagina when you haven't had sex don't even talk to a Nigerian mother about giving her child a tampon. I feel like there was a lot of gap in the education when I was growing up. Is that different today? And I suppose the reason I'm asking you that is because I know that you're a mom to two girls, but I wonder how prepared the younger generation are today as far as their menstrual health? So I think it varies, doesn't it? It, it kind of depends whereabouts in the world you're growing up. That experience that you've just described of not having much information about menstrual health, I think that's quite common, isn't it? Especially, you know, in some cultures. But now, if we're talking about the UK, for example, I've definitely noticed that schools are starting to introduce menstruation into their curriculum. Whereas before, I think it was a lot more focused on the kind of mechanics of sex and getting pregnant and how that works. And menstruation itself was explained maybe in the way of this is how your reproductive organs function yeah you menstruate but there wasn't much in terms of a deeper understanding of menstruation and how it impacts you as a person or what choices you might make or like the different disorders that might occur with menstruation so I think that the public would benefit from getting more of that education as we've talked about it can really impact on how you live your life what choices you make and that education is also really important because of the stigma that attached to menstruation even now do you know what I mean periods are not disgusting they're natural we need to learn how our bodies function what does it mean or what could it mean if you miss a period what could it mean if your period is longer than it normally is what happens if you're having two periods a month what happens if you're having a period after sex what are the implications of that so all of that I think it's really important for us to understand as women and we can only do that if we can talk about periods without feeling shame
or embarrassment. We need to get rid of that taboo. Now, to put you on the spot, if you've not already approached this conversation with your daughters, how do you plan to do that? I'm asking you because genuinely, I need tips. My daughter is only two. She's going to need a whole nother decade before the period comes. But of course, in preparation for that, I would have that conversation with her. So please give me tips. So I think the first thing is going with the flow of the child. If they are asking questions, that is a great chance to kind of introduce it naturally. So what I mean by that is rather than being like, right, come and sit down today, we're going to talk about periods. And then they're just like, oh, this is so awkward, mom. If they're asking questions or if a natural opportunity came up, like let's say, I don't know, they came across your pad. But oh, what's this, mom? And then that might be an opportunity just to kind of drip feed a little bit. They could also be in a class where other girls have started seeing their periods because not everyone sees their period at the same age. So that's a good tip. And then if you were to have that conversation, what aspect of it would you you then start with for a growing girl because you wouldn't obviously start entirely from the medical side of it would you approach it from an anatomical side or from a lifestyle side what is the bridge to have that conversation i think it's, it's like a mixture of all of those things so before that i would start preparing so i use the correct anatomical names always so i would say vulva when i mean you know the external genitalia i would say vagina and i would not use those two kind of interchangeably because I want them to understand it's important for our girls to understand that the vulva and the vagina are different right so you're having your period out of your vagina so using those terms already is kind of setting them up for a good start or for good education so that's the first thing then also it's talking about periods. sometimes it's brought up at school and they'll come home and they'll say oh you know what they talk to us about this today at school and then you can just follow on from that conversation so asking them like do you have any questions as opposed to jumping in with this long explanation that they don't understand. So I, I've found that if you say, like, what are you worried about? Are you worried about anything to do with periods? Is there anything that you want to ask me that you, that you didn't know at school? So things like that. And then explaining that periods are not disgusting. They're not something to feel embarrassed about. They're not something to feel shameful about. Look, we talked about painful periods as well, right? I think for children, it could be quite scary, like to think, oh, okay, so there will be blood coming out of the vagina. Like, is that painful? I think it's important to be truthful, especially now I've started seeing on social media, periods are not painful. Periods shouldn't be painful. And I think black and white statements like that can be problematic, right? Because we're not here to sugarcoat it. We want to talk about the facts and how it is. So if, if the child is asking, like, is it going to be painful? I think it's okay to be like, well, yeah, some people find that they have what feels like a tummy ache when they have a period. It's something that they can relate to because they probably had a tummy ache before. So they'll be able to think back and think, okay, actually, I've had a tummy ache before. It wasn't that bad, you know, so that they can understand. But to just be like, well, periods shouldn't be painful. I don't think that that's an accurate way to go about it. Okay, well, I'll let you know how that conversation goes when I approach it with my now two-year-old. So I want to go to menstrual products, you know, period products. What is the difference between the different menstrual products and why would a woman choose one over the other? It might be science-based or it could be your personal preference. My now personal favorite that I swear by is a menstrual cup. And I've tried having that conversation with, you know, family members and they cannot wrap their head around a menstrual cup. And for somebody who's gone from, you know, sanitary pads to tampons and to menstrual cups, I mean, I found sanitary towels very inconveniencing. 
in comparison now to where I am, which is a menstrual cup that I find very convenient and quite sustainable. What would make a woman choose one over the other? So I think it's different things like confidence, familiarity. So, you know, what you know or what your friends have said are good or what they're using and also where you are in that journey that you've just described. You know, it took you time before you got to the point where you were like, yeah, let me try a menstrual cup. Well, also the fact that I've also had sex, so I'm not worried about anything going in there. Exactly. So this is also going to influence it. So usually when girls start their periods, they find that the pads are the easiest to use because they are, you know, external. And it's usually the kind of entry level menstrual products that a girl will use. Then you can go to kind of internal products. So things like tampons. And then obviously with tampons, you've got ones that you can just insert with a finger or you've got ones that come with an applicator that make it a little bit easier to insert. Then you have things like menstrual cups. So at the moment, these are gaining popularity, aren't they? Because we're all about sustainability, using biodegradable products and, you know, kind of helping the environment and reducing plastic waste. That's it. Exactly. So now you're seeing that a lot of women are moving towards reusable menstrual products like cups and then you've also got the period knickers or period pants i've never tried that there's a huge range and i think look it's really important that girls know that there are all these options available to them as well right and there are benefits and for using each one and then there might be other reasons why women might choose one over the other or girls might choose one over the other so when a girl is first starting her period she might not feel comfortable to put something inside the vagina it takes a little bit of practice to be able to know you know which direction are you putting that tampon in anatomically the vagina doesn't just go straight up and down right it slants backwards oh you should tell men this by the way so when you are inserting that tampon on you want to be going slightly backwards and kind of aiming towards your middle oh my god <laughs> the visual that i'm getting oh my god what time of the day is it do you need a moment adana <laughs> well you know like you've said you know we can talk about anything here so yeah this is a safe space for sure thanks for that i think there's so many women that actually needed to hear that but i think the most important is about that confidence level you talked about which is where a woman is from the start of her menstrual journey to like when you become a veteran, you know, I suppose you'd be more open to trying a few more options or products. What women want to know. We've touched on so many topics and gained amazing insight from you. Really appreciate it. Before I let you go, what advice would you give to women about their menstrual health? And I know that this is such a vague question because it really also depends on where they're starting, what age, and have they had any complications or any diagnosis, all of that. If you were to put it under one umbrella, what do you wish women knew about their menstrual health and how should they take better care of their menstrual health? I think even that term menstrual health is relatively new, right? So it was just like, you have your period, you're on your period. But me menstrual health, it's like, I think I want women to understand that they should really educate themselves about their menstrual health, okay? So about your anatomy, how your body's working, your menstrual cycle, what we've talked about. Should you be having more than one bleed a month? Where can you access help? Who can you talk to if that's happening? And not feel any shame about it, but have open conversations, have open 
conversations with your daughters, have open conversations with your friends, with your partners, and don't feel shame because that way you are much more likely to come forward if you think that there's a problem um, and to seek help. And that's what really we want, isn't it? We want women to get to the point where they feel comfortable enough that when they notice a difference, they're going to be like, right, I need to go and see the doctor because I'm not sure what's going on here. And just to really get rid of that stigma of feeling shame because your menstrual health, like I said, your period, your menstruation is like a vital sign. It can be clear about what's going on. And also it can impact your mental health. We've talked about PMS, how you can feel. It can impact how productive you are to society. Can you lead a normal life? Can you go to school? Can you get your education? Can you socialise with your friends? It's so important. This is what I would say to women. Educate yourself about your menstrual health. Don't be afraid to talk about it because it's not shameful and then pass on that education to other women and to men as well because it's important that they also understand. They're also able to support the women in their lives. Thank you so much, Dr. Simi. Thank you for dropping that gem. And I think a lot of the guests that I have on the podcast who practice in different specialties, like the, the key message is always that education because how can you know what's not normal when you don't know what's normal, right? It's, a, it's about educating yourself tracking things when you need to speaking openly about it and getting rid of the shame and the stigma it's not as easy to get rid of the shame and the stigma but of course the more we know and the more we're happy to share the more we understand that we're not alone and that conversation becomes then common knowledge right because oftentimes we shy away from things that we don't know the conversation of menstrual health is not openly discussed it continues to be that disgusting thing that happens to women and that's not the case right another thing before i let you go is when you talk about the education you think about the first touch point for most young women today would be social media and it's just important to highlight that when people go online or on social media to get more information about any health conditions especially women's health and in this case menstrual health that it's important that they seek information from people that are trusted. And that's why it's a pleasure to have people like you on this show who are now officially clinician creators, who are verified, who know exactly what they're talking about. It's important that people are aware that you don't just take any information from anybody on the internet, but to make sure that they're qualified enough to share that information. On that note, I want to say a huge thank you to you, Dr. Simi, for taking the time. Thank you so much. And thank you for having me on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. What women want to know. Wow, what a very, very insightful conversation. What did you think about today's conversation? Let me know in the comments below. A big thank you again to Dr. Simi for taking the time to join us on the show today. And I do appreciate every healthcare professional that is still currently practicing who has found the time in their day to join me on this show. I'm truly, truly grateful to you. You can find all of Dr. Simi's contact in the description bar all of the amazing work she's doing and the links to all of her social media platforms. She definitely, definitely has some gems to share when it comes to women's health. So make sure to check her out and follow along. A big thank you to you for tuning into the show today. If you were watching on YouTube, please leave your comments below. I love reading them and responding to them. Also, what did you love the most about the conversation? And what topics would you like for me to explore in the show? Leave your comments 
below. And if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, do not forget to leave us a review. It helps other women find us, women who need to be part of this conversation. That's our show for today. Remember, your health matters and it's okay to talk about it. Until next time, I'm your host, Dr. Adana, and this is What Women Want to Know. Thank you.